last Sunday evening, we had a bowling outreach. And, and I'm not going to go into all of the details about how all of that came up and, and everything, but, but part of this came out of our, some of our small groups. We have six now that are doing it. We had five that were doing it. Now we have six of our small groups, because one of them starts today doing it, um, who actually don't do other curriculum for their small group. They actually do life application of the Sunday morning sermons. And so we were being challenged in our small groups to come up with a moving out event. For those who know the history of OCCA, for many years we had moving out Sunday, which was a once a quarter on the fi- when there was a fifth Sunday in the month, we would go out and do these moving out things. And, and it was a great start to a heart to move out into our community, but it is not a goal, nor should it be a goal. It is a start. God doesn't call us to reach out one day a quarter. He calls us to begin to live missionally. And so this is a great place for us to start off. And so we said, we want to, in this next year, go to moving out events other than one quarter a month. And so the groups were challenged to come up with moving out events, moving out outreaches into the community. And a couple of the groups uh, got together. And I'm going to say one and a half groups got together and did a bowling outreach, and God provided. And we had about 50 folks show up, some of which were new to the church, some of which have never attended worship with us here and been a part of that. And it was really a great time. We had a really great time. One of the brief highlights I want to give from this is that there was one of the ladies that's part of our church. She was there, and the Lord orchestrated her being on the lane with this teenage girl named Sierra, and, and Sierra uh, is hoping to be placed in a foster home soon. And this lady from our church who was on that lane with her really has a burden to pray for kids like that. And I think that was God putting them together. And they shared the story and, and all of that stuff. And we got to pray with Sierra that God will open those doors for her. And Sierra, I asked Sierra if we could pray for her as a church, and she said yes. So I'm not airing Sierra's laundry without her permission. You know, so I want you to pray for Sierra that God will open up that home that she's looking for, that place where she can feel loved. And, and so a lot of times we see with outreaches like this, we don't think they're doing anything. You know, we're just coming together, we're having fun, and we're like, okay, well, that was great, but nothing more. But listen, God is on the move, and he's doing some wonderful things. So the, the bowling thing kind of goes a little bit further you know, because the Lord began to use what happened on Sunday in my own life. And over the past 16 months since I've been your senior pastor, there's been something else that has been wrong in my walk with the Lord. I have allowed myself to become insulated from our community because of this job. Some of you think that being a pastor of the church means that you have all this time to serve the Lord and worship Him and go do His work. And let's just be honest with one another, that's not true. There is a lot of stuff that, you know, meeting with the exterminator because we have a hornet's nest and all that kind of stuff, the same kind of junk you deal with in any kind of organization. And all of a sudden it can just get to overwhelm you and next thing you know, you're struggling with this. Now how did I come become aware of this? Because as we're looking to do an outreach in our small groups, 
we're trying to figure out, we figure out we're going to do a bowling thing and we're supposed to invite everybody in each group, everybody in the groups that's doing the bowling thing is supposed to invite somebody. And I cannot think of one person besides the real estate agent that sold me our house that I could invite that didn't already go to church here. This is not good or healthy. I'm not saying I didn't have contact. I'm not saying I couldn't invite the waitress or couldn't invite you know, my checkout line. But I mean, I started realizing I don't have any friendships with anybody who's not a part of our church already. And this is not a good thing. And so the Lord began to work inside of my heart and in my mind. And he, he, what I believe the Lord told me to do was to look on there and see if there was any leagues. Now, you've got to understand, leagues, most of the time, bowling leagues, typically start in the fall. But as I looked it up, there's a bad bowling league that was already going, and, it's, and then it's a short league, it's only a 12-week league, and it's stopping for a few weeks, and it's restarting fresh, and it's a shorter league for 12 weeks. And so I probably creeped out like 50 women on, maybe more, on Tuesday night, because I went up to the bowling alley to pick up a ball. And it was like all women except for Dean, like the owner, <laughs> and me. And it was just, I'm just sitting there going, man, most of these women probably think I'm a stalker or something. Because I'm just like, Dean's like, wait, wait, I got stuff I got to do. So I'm just kind of sitting in this chair all creepy-like. <laughs> you know, but uh, anyways. So, so I feel like the Lord said, you know, I want you to go do this and, and to get out into the community. Now listen, I'm getting ready to issue a, a challenge to you to prayerfully consider this. But if you take up this challenge, there's a rule. If you see me at the bowling alley and you call me pastor, I am going to be angry. Do not call me pastor. As a matter of fact, outside of this building, eliminate the word pastor from your vocabulary when you're talking to me. Because people treat me different as soon as they know I'm a pastor. I met... I ended up meeting the two folks that are going to be on my team. I specific, they said, well, you're going to get your own team. I said, do you have anybody you can throw me with? I'm not doing this because I want to bring my own friends up here already. I need new friends. Not that you guys are bad friends. <laughs> but, I, but, you know, my, my, my thing here is to connect with other people in the community. So they put me on a team, and Norma and Shannon are on my team. And, I, uh, man, I wasn't prepared to meet them that night. Didn't know they were going to be in there. And... Shannon eventually asked me what I do for a living, and I gave her this really awkward answer because I didn't want to tell her I was a pastor. And the more we got to think about it, I'm like, man, I just seem like a weirdo. And finally I said, when nobody else was around, I said, look, I know my answer seemed weird. I said, but, you know, and I told her that she's going to treat me different. She's like, I will not. And then I told her, and immediately she explained how she was going to treat me different. And I said, no, that's exactly what I don't want you to do. She goes, you're right. I am going to treat you different. And I'm like, just be you. I just want to be friends with you, who you are, the real you. Right? There are two spots for teams that are a part of this. There's two more team spots. That could be a total of six people. They're three-man teams is what they're doing. And seriously, it's bowling of all skill levels. I mean, it's the bad bowlers league. Now, if you do join this bad bowlers league, you'll get a free bowling ball. Well, it's not free. You're, you're, it's a reduced price, and you'll end up paying for it, and you'll get it probably about week six of the, of the uh, league, about halfway through, and da 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 So you'll end up having your own ball, and then you can go on the pro tour. No, I'm just kidding. 
But I just want to challenge you to come up, you know, to think about this. Is the Lord asking you to go and bowl? So I go and I get this ball and, and, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get on this bowling league, right? And I know it's the bad bowlers league, but, uh, I'm pretty much like every other man. I'm okay with being bad, but not, you know, like, and saying, oh yeah, I'm learning, but not just being wretched. Right? So I bowled almost every day this last week. Um, because I'm like, I gotta get up there and like, I used to bowl as a kid and I could throw a hook and I did okay and, you know, I had a decent average for a kid, and, you know, on Sunday night, I broke 100 once, and it was just, like, horrible. I'm proud to say that on uh, Friday night with Ange and Brian, I bowled a 149. I'm not, I'm not saying that's a great thing, but, I mean, it's getting better. You know, I'm learning how to throw a ball again. So, uh, but anyhow, you know, I, I get up there, and I begin to practice, and, and I quickly realize that, like, and if you don't know anything about bowling, and if you know more than I am, I'm sure I'm going to mess some of this up. Or if you know more than I do, don't correct me. I, I'm probably wrong. I know that. But right side spares for a right-handed bowler that's a beginning bowler are the hardest to pick up. So if, if you throw your first ball and you've got pins that are left on the right alone, those are the hardest spares to pick up for a right-sided for a right-handed bowler. And, and so I'm getting up there and I'm practicing this and I start going up and, and I mean, when we first started, man, I couldn't, I couldn't keep the ball out of the gutter on a right side spare. I mean, it was just horrible. And I was moving to different places in the lane, trying different things. It's just rough, 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 rough. And so anyways, I come back and I start looking on YouTube and different things. You can learn anything on YouTube just about, um, and so I look at, uh, I look at, start looking at left or right side spares and the very thing that i was avoiding doing is what they say you have to do which is you have to move like you're throwing at the 10 pin which is the furthest pin to the right in the back you have to move practically into the to stand practically in the gutter of the left lane and then throw your ball and it's almost like you're intentionally trying to throw it in the right side gutter okay some of you know this this is going to be a really important thing this whole right side spare thing throughout the sermon today. So keep that in mind, all right? So I'm looking at how to do this and learn how to pick up right side spares. And, and again, my eyes tell me that I'm going to throw the ball in the gutter, but the YouTube videos and all this stuff are telling me I've got to take a leap of faith and roll the ball that way. Because without faith to roll the ball that way, I will miss 100% of them. There are a lot of similarities between the faith it takes to pick up spares on the right side in bowling and picking up the spares of life. And we have the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews to help us understand how to do that. Now, you're saying picking up the spares of life? Yeah, I'm talking about when you take that first shot at something and it doesn't work and there's some things that didn't quite work to go back and, and, and throw the second ball. There's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of similarities. And so the Hebrews Faith Hall of Fame in chapter 11 talks about this, and not specifically about bowling, but about faith in this. So I want you to open your Bibles up to Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse uh, 5, and we're going to go through verse 6. 
Hebrews 11, verses 5 and 6. As we talk about the Faith Hall of Fame, today's example from the Faith Hall of Fame is about the man named Enoch. About the man named Enoch. He, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about him, but let's see what the Scriptures say here in Hebrews about Enoch. And then we're going to go and have some prayer, and then I will talk about Enoch, and we'll eventually get back to this shooting right-side spares and shooting the spares in life. Verse 5 says this, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. Get this. Enoch went to heaven without bodily dying. It's only happened twice. Enoch and Elijah. Enoch went to heaven without bodily dying, okay? So by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, which is the point of this, it's not that he was taken to heaven. It is the before he was taken, because this is what Hebrews is saying here. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, that is God, For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Now, listen, I want you to hear something today. I feel like this is very important what I'm getting ready to say. This isn't in my sermon notes. Okay? In a general sense, God is pleased with you. He looks at you. He's proud of you. He loves you. You are created in His image, even if you are not a born-again Christian. If you don't even know what born again means, you need to come talk to me after church because Jesus says, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So you have to be born again to spend eternity with him. Jesus' words, not mine. Okay? So in a general sense, God is pleased. But that does not mean that God is pleased in every instance of our life. God is not pleased when we sin. You understand what I'm saying? And this is a hard thing for people to accept because we either want to make everybody feel like a dirt ball because you're never going to be good enough to serve him or we want to do the hyper grace thing and that just tells everybody that everything you're doing is perfectly fine with God. Just do whatever you want. It's all good. Okay? Neither one of those are true. They're both lies from the pit of hell and they've been around forever. Okay? You had the Sadducees on one side and the Pharisees on the other side. The Pharisees were the legalistic, you're never going to be good enough, da-da-da-da-da. And the Sadducees were the hyper-gracers. They said it didn't matter. And there were some other differences between them, and that's for another day. But Jesus said, the way is narrow, and few there are that will find it that leads to life. We have the pit of liberalism on one side and we have the pit of legalism on the other side. And we have to walk this narrow road in the middle. And it is the only road. And Jesus is not talking about just having faith and repentance in Him. He's talking about walking that road of faith and living that out by the actions of our life. It will show if we really have faith and repentance. You understand what I'm saying? But I want you to understand, what, when we talk about this today, I am, my goal is not to make you feel like a dirt ball. 
God does do guilt on purpose. Guilt that leads to repentance is from God. And He does do that often. And sometimes you'll feel really bad in that. But if the prompting is to repent, turn away from that, it is from the Lord. If the prompting is to hide and be ashamed and be downcast, that's from Satan. Take that kind of guilt and turn it to the Lord. And repent as well. Satan wants you to feel like a dirt ball. God wants you to repent and walk as a child of the King. Okay? Understand that. There's such a thing as healthy guilt. If you've not had any healthy guilt since you've been a Christian, then I would suggest to you, you're not paying attention to Jesus. I promise you, you are not doing everything correctly. If you were, you are Jesus. Jesus, would you raise your hand, please? Okay. See, my hand's down too. I'm not doing it all right either. Right? So there's a a healthy guilt that comes. Understand today we're talking about healthy stuff, not trying to make you feel like you're under this yoke of slavery. But if I didn't preach the truth of a healthy guilt, then I would be guilty of leading you astray and need to be taken down. And if you have a pastor in life ever that all he preaches is the grace of God, run, run as fast as you can. Okay? Size of congregation does not matter. Lakewood Church is 43,000 people in attendance every week. And all they preach is heresy. That's Joel Osteen. If you listen to Joel Osteen, stop it. He was on Larry King Live and would not say that Jesus was the only way. He won't say it. Larry King gave him an opportunity and he would not do it. And he would not talk about faith and repentance. That hyper grace thing that's going around our country is not good. All right? So understand where we're coming from. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are not a abuser of us with your law. But we also thank you that you are not a hyper-grace God who says do whatever you want. Lord, we ask today that we would learn from Enoch's example and that we would also be able to use this illustration of bowling to help us understand what it means to walk in faith. Because Lord, walking in faith is kind of this vague, wispy concept that we all kind of intellectually get, but we don't always know how to practically play it out. And so we ask you today to speak to us and help us to understand from Enoch's example what it means to live in faith. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Okay, so who is Enoch? Before we get too far into picking up the spares of life, I need to explain to you who, who Enoch is briefly, right? So there's some main points here about Enoch that we want to talk about. Maybe I didn't touch that. So... Points of interest about Enoch are this. Number one, Enoch was in the seventh generation of man. 
Now, for homework for this week, and for those of you who aren't familiar with homework, I try to give six passages of Scripture that talk about the sermon that I preached on on the whatever day it is, that Sunday, that you can go back and check and see, is my pastor teaching me correctly? Okay, Here's why. Because I often ask people, even people in this congregation, where did you get that from? And they tell me such and such a pastor or such and such a Bible teacher or I heard it on the radio and I'm like, but where did it come from? They don't know beyond that person that told them. If you, if anybody ever asks you, where did you get something from? And your answer is, well, Pastor Jerry said da 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 da, that's not good enough. Pastor Jerry is capable of mistakes. You need to base it in scripture. And I'm not talking about eisegesis and proof texting what you want to say and go taking a verse out of context because i can do that and we can all drink poison and play with snakes there's a verse that is taken out of context and churches do that and that's not a good thing it's not from god you have to take it in context okay some of you started getting worried are the snakes coming no (laughs) i guarantee you at occa if the snakes started coming out so would the pistols (laughs) so anyway but uh so the whole thing here, and I digress. Enoch was the seventh generation of man, and that's going to be in your homework in Genesis chapter 5 for you to be able to read. Seventh generation of man, okay? So he was, the, he was Adam's direct descendant. His life overlapped Adam's life by 308 years. Some of you are like, what? Adam was 622 years old when Enoch was born. Now, some of you are like, I don't think so. Listen, God can raise Jesus from the dead, but he can't have Adam be that old. God can create everything from nothing by the force of his word, but he can't have people be that old. Some things we really limit God on. If you go and add all of this up and do the math, they overlapped by 308 years. Okay? Enoch was the father of the oldest human ever recorded. If you know the oldest human ever recorded, shout it out. Methuselah. How old did Methuselah live to be according to the scriptures? 969 years old. Okay, he was 969 years old, Methuselah was, when he died. Okay, so this is who he was the father of. Enoch was taken to heaven alive. Now, you, you might read that out of the, in the Old Testament and you go, well, it says he, was take, he walked with God and God took him. Does that say alive? In the Hebrew, it would indicate alive because that's where the author of Hebrews talks about that. And for several hundred years before Jesus came, Enoch was a primary figure inside of the Jewish tradition. They were talking about him being uh, translated into heaven alive, taken to heaven alive. This was a big deal. And we see that in Hebrews that he says he was taken up alive in verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. Right? It is widely speculated that he will be one of the two prophets in Revelation chapter 11. I particularly believe that he will be. Him and Elijah. 
Because the scriptures say that it is appointed once for man to die and then the judgment. And Elijah and Enoch have not died. But in Revelation chapter 11, these two prophets who come down, who have all these powers to do all this stuff God's granted them, they end up dying and laying in the street dead for a few days. Now, I could be wrong. We could get to that event and it's not Enoch and Elijah. I'm not saying that you have to be right about this to go to heaven, but it's widely speculated that Enoch is one of those two prophets in the book of Revelation. Has a special place in God's heart, right? However, these are not the most important things about Enoch. All of these little tidbits about Enoch, and by the way, there's not a ton of Scripture about Enoch. These are not the most important thing. The most important thing about Enoch was that he pleased God by living a faith-filled life. He pleased Him. Not in the general sense of He was created in the image of God and He's there. No, He pleased Him by His actions in that specific sense. Now, am I saying that Enoch did everything right? No. Because if Enoch could do everything right, then Jesus wasn't necessary. But this is what Hebrews chapter 11 tells us. that This tells us the most important thing. When they want to recount Enoch's life, it's not speculation about different prophecies he might have given, like was in the Jewish tradition, all these things. No. What they say was that he was taken up, and, and because God had taken him, and now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And the author of Hebrews says, and without faith it's impossible to please God. So the author of Hebrews points out the most important thing about Enoch is that he lived a faith-filled, pleasing life to God. But how did this happen? And what on earth does this have to do with shooting spares? Right? I mean, how is bowling going to help us understand how to live a faith-filled, God-pleasing life that Enoch did? And make no mistake, I am arguing and contending for your need to live a pleasing life to God. You cannot do whatever you want as a born-again Christian. The word Christian itself means slave of Christ. It does not mean Christ follower. It does not mean little Christ. And I've said this before, and I will continue to say this over and over and over and over again. The word appears just a few times in Scripture. It is the Greek word Christianos. It is of Latin origin. It has that, that Greek word is of Latin origin. Its root word is the Christos. The root word of that is the Krios, which means to smear or rub. So the Christos is the anointed one, the rubbed one, right? And the Ianos is the Latin part of it, and it means being owned by the one whose name precedes it. So if you were a Dalianos, you were owned by Dale, your Dale's slave. Some people struggle with this because in our mind we have the idea of American slavery. That's not what the Bible's talking about. Over and over and over again in your translation of the Bible in the New Testament, you see a lot of times servant and it'll have like a little number next to it for you to go read the footnote. And that little footnote will say Greek word here is doulos. Means bond servant or slave. The entire New Testament says that the, the, the witness of this says that we are not our own. We were bought with a price. 
by Jesus' blood. Amen? So, we have to live this faith-filled, pleasing life to, to God like Enoch did. This is the most important thing because that's our master. I want to tell you this. You cannot to Jesus say, no, Lord, and mean both things. You either don't mean no or you don't mean Lord. You cannot tell your master no and mean that he's your master. Now, we do it often, and that's where the conviction comes in, right? And your spirit man says, no, you don't really mean no. You mean, Lord, this is really a struggle for me. Help me. (laughs) Amen? So, how does this all have to do with shooting spares and all this? All right, so living by and in faith. Here's how it has to do with all of this. Enoch, by you seeing that he overlapped life with Adam had access to first-hand testimony about who God is. Adam walked daily with God before the fall. And we are not told how long that period lasted before they fell. Enoch had first-hand testimony. And some of you are like, well, if I had first-hand testimony... It would make a huge difference in my life. You do. We're on the same playing field as Enoch. We have first-hand testimony. The Scriptures tell us that they are that all Scripture is God-breathed. It's written by God and it's useful for correction, rebuking, all these things. The Gospel of John is a witness to Jesus' life and ministry. And it says that in its first-hand testimony from eyewitnesses to what was going on. It tells us in the Scriptures that nobody, no Scripture was ever breathed out by man's own interpretation, but the prophet's road is carried along by God. That is why so many people work so diligently to discredit this, because this is our record of what God has done. We know God because of this, because of what's written down. We also know it because others have told us about Him. Because they've had encounters with the living God. But you know what? Enoch's life-pleasing, faith-filled walk, excuse me, uh, God-pleasing, faith-filled walk, his life of that, wasn't based on believing the testimony of Adam. You can believe who God is. You can believe about Him. In the book of James in the New Testament, it tells us that even the demons believe and shudder. They tremble in fear. Belief is not enough. He didn't live just by belief in what Adam said. Enoch chose to act on that knowledge and walk in a trusting relationship with God. That's what we see out of that passage of Hebrews. That he was commended as having pleased God. That he walked with God. We see that in the Genesis chapter 5. That he walked with God. He spent time walking with Him. Now this may not seem real big at first. But it's huge if you stop to think about it. 
I am certain that some of the first-hand testimony that Enoch got from Adam was how God excommunicated him from the garden. Adam probably said, you see that cherubim over there that's standing with the flaming swords guarding away? He's keeping us away from the tree of life. And we're going to eventually die. We were meant to live forever, but these bodies are eventually going to die. And I know I'm really old, but I'm feeling my age. We're eventually going to die. God is a holy God. He's a just God. He won't tolerate us disobeying Him. I'm sure that's some of the first-hand testimony that he got. He, he probably also got the first-hand testimony about how loving God was and, and what it was like to walk with God day to day. What it was like to be in His presence. What it was like when sin wasn't marring the relationship. It wasn't just the positive testimonies. It, it wasn't just the negative testimonies. But they were both there. He knew that God was holy. He knew that God would punish a disobedience. But he also knew that God wanted a relationship with people. So I want to link this back to shooting the spares. See, Adam got to roll the first ball. I think he left a ten pin. He could have rolled a strike, but he didn't. And ever since then, we've been trying to shoot a right-handed spare as right-handed bowlers. We've been told to live this faith. We've been told to follow God. We've been told to do all of these things. I mean, we see all of this stuff in Scripture. And some people say, oh, but pastor, Christianity is not about rules. You're right. It's not about rules. It's about a relationship. But let me just tell you this. Every relationship has rules. Amen? If you don't believe me, just ask your wife. She will tell you. They all got rules. <laughs> I don't care if you don't like that meatloaf, man. You better not tell her. That's one of those rules. <laughs> so, anyway. We've all been trying to shoot right-handed right-handed spares, right-side spares as right-handed bowlers. And I told you, when I was trying to do this on my own, I could not figure out for the life of me, and I could not remember from when I was a kid how to shoot a right-side spare. And I kept telling my wife when we were bowling with the kids on her birthday, I'm like, man, I'm horrible. This is ridiculous. So I started looking on YouTube, and I started looking at these pro bowlers, a lot of pro bowlers have these videos and, and they're talking about different techniques on how to do it. You know, one pro bowler was encouraging it as, as a beginner, not even trying to throw a hook at it. But, you know, other ones are like, would you throw your same hook for your strike? And But all of them had in common this one thing. You move all the way, if it's a 10-pin, you move all the way to the left side of the lane. Not the left dot. That's not all the way to the left side. Like four boards to the left of the left dot. Line your right shoulder up with that pin. Walk towards that pin as you're going and throw at your strike mark. And then one of the, one of the pro bowlers said this. And everything as a beginning bowler tells you do not throw that ball like that because you are aiming it right at the gutter. 
But unless you throw it that way, you will not ever pick that spare up unless you just miss where you're aiming. You have to throw it at the gutter. Your eyes are telling you one thing. But faith and the testimony of those who have went before is telling you something completely different. You see how bowling has to do with this faith hall of fame? I mean, how many of us right now are facing junk that is going on in our life and the testimony of faithful Christians or the testimony of Scripture is telling you to go at it this particular way and you are standing there and you are looking and you are lined up on the left side and you are looking at that spare and you're like, man, my arm swings like this. That is like 15 feet down the lane. It's in the gutter. This can't be right. Some of you are having horrible problems inside of your family. Some of you are having horrible problems inside of your work, inside of the job that you do. Some of you are having marriage issues. Some of you are struggling with chemical addiction. Some of you are struggling with pornography addiction. Some of you are struggling with an addiction to anger. Some of you are struggling with an addiction to bitterness and unforgiveness. Get whatever your struggle is that's going on and somebody has come alongside of you and told you this is what the Lord says on how to do this. This is what the Lord says on how to address this. Here's the testimony of men and women who've lived this out. Here it is in Scripture and you are standing on the left side of the lane at that spare in life and you're going, there is no way this is going to work. I don't know if Brian paid attention on Friday night, but I only missed one right side spare. We played six games and I only missed one right side spare. I'm not saying I didn't miss some spares. I did. But I only missed one right side spare. But let me tell you something. Tuesday night, I was missing them all. Wednesday on Sarah's birthday, I was missing them all. Thursday, I went up and bowled, and I just, my first ball, I was aiming at the 10 pin. If I missed it, my second ball, I aimed at the 10 pin. If I hit it, I'd try to throw my strike ball the next time and pick up the spare. I was taking every ball and aiming it at that. And it is nerve-wracking. Everything in your eyes says this will not work. And I was, and in the beginning, I was missing, missing, missing. And then it started getting better. As I started building confidence, as I started saying, you know what? It doesn't matter that I'm failing. I'm trying. It doesn't matter that this isn't working every single time. I am giving this an attempt. I am trying to throw this spare the way that it's supposed to be. I am following the instructions. See, Enoch, I don't think, had everything right. I don't think he threw a strike on the first time every time. But he learned how to throw at the spares of life. You and I have to start learning how to throw at the spares of life, taking the chance. I mean, some of you, are, are your, your finances are decimated. And the Bible gives a very good plan that works, and it's the only thing in Scripture God says you can test him on, by the way, on how to put your finances back together. It's called tithing. This is not a cry for money. We're doing fine financially as a church. But God says, 
Trust me. Test me in this and see if I don't open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing you can't hold. You got a big stack of bills. You're like, I got more bills than paycheck. And you want me to tithe. No, I don't want you to tithe. God says that, not me. God says you can test him. And I'm so confident in this that write tithe test on your check. And if you need it back, we will give it back to you. God has to show up. If he doesn't show up, how will he provide? I don't know. Sometimes it's interesting. Sometimes it's miracle checks in the mail. Sometimes you have to come to one of our deacons and say, man, this came up in life. And And they go, oh. We've got this thing called the Benevolent Fund for people inside of our church who are struggling, who have issues that come up and catch them off guard. Let us pray about this and meet together. And they come back and say, yeah, we decided that the Lord wants us to help you with this. I mean, it's amazing how God does this. Okay? So God's not after your money. He's after that. I'm looking down, and it's the gutter. And I'm supposed to throw the ball at it. Now, you could take that in any kind of way you want to, not just with finances, Maybe you've got a kid who is looking at you and telling you how badly they hate you. I want to share a story with you about a kid like that. There was a young lady. She doesn't care if I share this story. Her name is Jessica Stone. When we planted Crossroads Fellowship in Clarksville, Tennessee, Jessica's mom got deployed to Iraq, and she was a single mother. Now, Jessica ended up staying with us for the entire 13 months, I think it was, that uh, her mom was deployed to Iraq. And it was horrible. Everything that we did with Jessica backfired. I mean, she was spiraling out of control. And the more we tried to point her to follow the Lord, the more we told her what God expected of her, the worse it got. It was like every spare I threw, gutter, 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 gutter. You get the point. This almost tore my marriage apart. She was negatively influencing our children. My wife seriously looked at me and said, never again. If you ever do this again, I'm done. And I know that divorce is wrong, and I'm not saying my wife wants to get a divorce, but this was how bad this was in our family. Within the last 12 months, Jessica tracked me down. This is huge because when Jessica left, we left Crossroads, Jessica started a new Facebook page. The name of it was, I Hate Jerry Breedlove. It's not really good to have a I Hate Jerry Breedlove Facebook page out there if you're a pastor, by the way. (laughs) Jessica started this I Hate Jerry Breedlove page i mean this thing got out of control jessica tracked me down within the last year she's on the phone crying telling me thank you thank you for setting rules thank you for being tough and doing what god told you to do even though i wasn't responding even though i would have liked you if you had let me go do my thing Thank you. Because you tolerated that, because you didn't cast me aside, because you, she doesn't know all of the other stuff, because you almost let me destroy your marriage, because you almost let all this stuff go on, because you never retaliated at me when I did the I Hate Jerry Breedlove page, when all of those things, because all of that was happening, I want you to know I married a godly man. 
we're a part of a church. I'm serving the Lord. My husband's in full-time ministry at this point. Not pastoring, but in a full-time parachurch ministry. So I'll go on in Jessica's life. I guess some of those I turned around and didn't look. You know, because it was hooking. And I don't know if you know anything about throwing a hook ball. It's kind of spinning sideways. And it's getting closer and closer and closer and closer to the outside edge. Once it gets to those outside, outside two, three boards, there's less oil. And the ball all of a sudden grabs and shoots back in. I guess some of those shot back in, but I was too busy thinking they were in the gutter. But I found out. All of this happened right as Lindsay, my oldest daughter, who's biologically my niece that many of you know, decided that she didn't want to live in our house anymore and move to Florida. And I told Sarah, she'll come back eventually. She'll come back and love us. And Sarah's like, I don't know. And the very week that she left is the week Jessica tracked me down and God said, throw the spare. I know it looks like it's going to go in the gutter. Throw the spare. Throw it. Some of you want to give up. Some of you don't want to throw the spare. Some of you are ready to just call it quits. I got it. Some of you are being told by your small group or by other people who love you, this is what the Word of God says, and you are explaining why it doesn't apply to you. You're explaining why your situation is the one situation that God couldn't possibly have meant. You are the one who surprised Jesus. Out of the bajillions of people who've lived, you're the one that surprised Him. You're the one that He didn't know about. It's not so. Throw the spare. God is calling some of you to do very difficult things. Throw the spare. Throw the spare. Even if it misses, throw it the next time. Even if it misses again, throw it the next time. I guarantee you, eventually you're going to start hitting. Not because I'm so good, not because you're so good, but because God is growing you in your faith. He's saying, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. Verse 6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Do you want to live a life that's pleasing to God? Not in the general sense, and that's awesome. That general sense of pleasing is good when we're feeling beat down. We have to say, I know God loves me anyways, and He cares, and He is not looking at me waiting to smite me. But do you want to please Him in those specific instances? When we live by faith... We have to keep shooting those hard spares even when it feels like we are purposely trying to throw the ball in the gutter. That's what Enoch did. He kept shooting those hard spares even when it looked like he was throwing them in the gutter of life. This is God. This is what he's done. There was an Old Testament prophet, Amos, I believe, I could be wrong, was told to marry a prostitute. Hosea, thank you, John. Hosea told to marry a prostitute. Hello? That looks like a gutter ball, doesn't it? (laughs) 
She left him multiple times to go back to prostitution, and God said, go get her. That looks like a gutter ball, doesn't it? I could go on and on. I think you get the point. Homework this week. Because you need to check this and see, is God really calling us to live by faith like this? Monday, Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 23. Tuesday, Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Wednesday, Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Thursday, Matthew 8, 5 through 13. Friday, Matthew 17, verses 14 through 20. And Saturday, James chapter 1, verses 2 to 12. You'll learn a little about Enoch. And then you'll see examples, multiple examples, where Jesus commends people for crazy faith. The story of the Syrophoenician woman who came to Jesus and Jesus said, it is not right for me to give you the children's bread. And she said, even the dogs get to lick up the crumbs. Talk about looking like a gutter ball. Over and over again, Jesus is calling us to live by faith. Father, thank you for speaking into our lives. Have your way. Teach us to walk in faith and to throw those balls that look like gutter balls. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen.